Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with your co-host, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and his wife, Jeannie. Michael and Jeannie share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. They offer tools and support five days a week. They will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love. In Aramaic, Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.whyagain.com. And now your co-host, The Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. To the brightness within you and the truth that is rooted within me. Hi and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with The Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host, along with Dr. Tim Hayes, and we welcome you to the show. Today is Tuesday, September 15th, 2015, and our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us, and we would love to hear your comments and your questions, because that makes this your show. Welcome, Michael. Hello, Michael. I'm here. Thank you, and welcome everybody to Mind Shifters Radio. We are honored and appreciative of the fact that you choose to join us every day that you choose to join us. And we're here to create support for the understanding of the ancient Aramaic process, the internal process of forgiveness. If you hold some form of hostility or fear in your mind, why is it there? Well, because it's there. What can you do about it? Well, there's this tool called forgiveness. And as opposed to what the culture's taught us, that forgiveness is about how I let you off the hook for what's happening inside of me, the actual process of forgiveness, as it was originally uh, brought to planet Earth, was a tool with which you go inside yourself and literally remove the capacity for any form of hostility or fear. So that's what we're here to support is the understanding of that tool and making it available to every mind, heart, and being on the planet. So we're honored that you're here to join us and uh, help us to move that forward just by lending an ear. You'll increase the energy of the understanding of forgiveness on a global scale. So welcome. Delighted that you're here. And Jeannie, do we have Dr. Tim with us today? Actually, he's not on yet, so... But we do have a hand up, and we have, uh, all right, the first caller is area code 678. You're on the air. Who do we have? Hello? Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Hi, who do we have? Hi, this is Tamara from Atlanta. Welcome. Glad to hear from you. Oh, thanks. I've been, I've been listening for months, and it's been wonderful help. Um, I've well, I've been triggered by my neighbor, big time. No, <laughs> no. Well, I trigger. How rare! <laughs> I I live kind of a quiet, secluded life, and you know, life wants to keep uh, sending me healing opportunities. So, so it's the neighbors lately. Well, have you have you been on the show when we've talked about the idea of the law of resonance? Oh, absolutely. I understand that okay. very much. In fact, so then, this neighbor reminds me of my mom a lot. It's like... No. <laughs> How awesome. What a gift. Well, if you were on the show yesterday, you heard Dr. Tim sharing how he got a call from someone just, I mean... Of of all the people in the world that I know, Tim is one of the most gentle and genuinely concerned about other people people that I know on the planet. 
So yesterday he shared how he got a call from somebody who'd interviewed him to bring their son, and and they just railed on him about what was wrong with him. And, uh, ah. and of course he shared how how that was a gift that perhaps he didn't want to receive at the moment. None of us do, but that that opened a space in him to go to another place that was hiding in his mind. And so chances are, if you've got someone who's resonating the brain cells that uh, that tie into mom, that you've got this mm-hmm. neighbor who is getting ready to give you the gift of healing every dynamic with mom. And oftentimes mom is our power person uh, to heal the right. power person dynamics. So that's pretty cool. That's an awesome gift if you can receive it as a gift. You know, it's a great line in The Course in Miracles. It says, anything you refuse to look at cannot be shown to you. But as you step into wow. looking at this and go, hmm, what are the brain cells in me that are still carrying issues with mom that this woman's showing to me? And, Rukka, I'm willing to look. I'm willing to own that part of me. And to forgive that, then the floodgate can <laughs> open. And it's just an amazing and awesome gift. So I congratulate you for uh, for the willingness to start to look there. That's pretty powerful. Most <laughs> well, people I just did look on there, down. and I, I uncovered something very... Interesting, which, mm-hmm. um, um, well, she's kind of cold and distant and aloof. And then she had this big party over the weekend with lots of loud music for two whole days, drunkenness, and it was just horrible. So after I, I went through the anger and the hostility, Underneath that, I found, I feel like I'm not being seen. I'm disregard, disregarded by this person. And that's been a, a constant, like, core wound for me that right. I'm not seen and people just run right over me with their needs and I don't exist, I'm invisible, I don't matter. And that so, made a so, lot of sense to me. Yeah. Not being seen. Well, let me see if I, yeah, well, let me see if I can big one. sum this up. Yeah, let me see if I can sum up the, the total of your conversation so far. So what I'm hearing okay. is I'm this person who's out in the woods hiding away, isolated, so that nobody mm-hmm. will find me or see me. And, yeah. and now I'm upset ah. because somebody isn't seeing me. Is, is that what I heard, kind of? Oh, my gosh. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do recreate yeah, the, that whole theme. I don't want to be seen, but at the same time, it brings up so much of this helpless I'm rage. Really, I'm really pleased because I'm not being seen. Yeah. So, so that's uh, and, and notice the, how the mind can make when when that's what's occupying the nine bit mind. Notice how mm-hmm. the mind can make both positions totally logical. When obviously they're uh-huh. oxymoron. They're mutually exclusive. <laughs> so that's yeah, I live kind of like a, a monk's life. I have this. Mm-hmm. It's like a beautiful retreat in nature, and all I want to do is meditate. And it's kind of an escape from the world. So, just what you were saying. So it makes perfect sense to me that way. But again, it's not helping me with my isolation and my um, lack, my lack of connection. Or, you know, it's just, it's very fearful for me to be seen. So notice, notice the denial there. Hmm. Did you catch your denial? Did you catch that? Well, there's a resistance to being around people, for sure. Right. But, but remember, remember our definition of denial here, and, when we watch our words, it just tells us all kinds of wonderful things. So remember that our, den- our definition in this work, our primary, that the, the form of denial that we're working with is whatever I think or speak as though something outside of me is causing something inside of me that I'm in denial. <clears throat> what happens oh, when okay. I deny right. is that what I deny, I dissociate from. Hmm. What I dissociate from is my pain that I want to heal, but now I'm dissociated from it, so I can't change it because 
I've told my mind that it's not allowed to show it to me directly. Then the next step, once you've denied and dissociated from something is, that will set up an energy field, literal high energy wave that will draw somebody in to do the behavior that mm-hmm. will resonate the dissociated part of the mind. Then uh-huh. the track is completed because once somebody resonates those dissociated brain cells that we're cut off from, we'll literally use those brain cells to build our perception of them. And they'll show mm-hmm. up in our mind with our pain and our problem attached, but our mind will show us that it's their problem. Right. And all the while, I'm the one feeling the pain. So my dissociated Uh content, I make pictures out of and make it about other people and pretend it's got nothing to do with me. So if you listen carefully to your language, what you said is, it is fearful when. It. That's denial. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that out there causes my fear as opposed to, well, when this happens, that brings my fear up. That's ownership. Now I can start to work through my fear. But it's fearful when says that something out there is the cause of my fear. And that's a subtle form of denial that when you can shift it, you can start to open the part of your mind you've dissociated from and break through it. And that's where the worksheet process comes in. So I'd support you doing some worksheets around, you know, with the object of attention, number one, C being mom, being your neighbor, being Mm -hmm. the world in general. You know, it's terrifying for me to be seen. So they'd be, you know, you could probably do easily, you know, and it sounds like this is maybe your 77 times 70 worksheet issue. So you could probably do worksheets uh, for some significant amount of time around that issue. And then, I would suggest you might want to do a mind shifter. Have you been on a show where we've talked about the mind shifter process before? No. Uh -uh. Okay. Well, the mind shifter tool goes like this. First of all, the definition. A mind shifter is a thought about an issue in your life around which you have negative thoughts, and it's the opportunity to surface, process, and release the negative thought. Uh So you've already said it's very scary, you know, I am very frightened when people see me. And then on the other side of the coin, I'm very upset when people don't see me. Right. So so then a mind shifter would be, have you got a pen handy? Yes. Uh-huh. So, so I'll suggest you write this down. <laughs> it's safe and healing, and I love mm-hmm. it when people see me Completely. Oh. Or not. Or not. Or not, yeah. Now, what you Mm -hmm. do with that is you create a space of at least two hours where your phone is off, you're totally isolated in your own space, take your notebook, draw a line down one side of the page, and write the mind shifter on the left side of the page. And then use that as a catalyst. Remember, the mind works by resonance. So if I say, don't think about the color of your car, what happens? The color of your car pops up. If I don't have a car, I say, well, I'm not thinking about the color of my car because I don't have a car. Or if it's blue or red, whatever. That's Mm -hmm. resonance. The mind works by that principle. So if you take that mind shifter and start writing it and let yourself get into a really deep space, on the right side of the page, you write every response that comes up to that thought. And so you just kind of do a brain dump of whatever's in there. Oh, cool. And then you'll what, what happens is you'll take that whole file and you'll dump it out on the page. And then you'll be able to go back and look at, oh, wow, there's a big, man, there's a core, there's something I never knew was there. And so you'll get to, if you don't censor any of it, you just write every thought, every feeling. It may not seem related, but you just keep writing. And, and when you run out of things to write, you write the mind shifter again. You might write, write the mind shifter two, three, four, ten times, and then what comes up? Oh, I've got a pain in my big toe, or I've got a pain in my ear, or whatever. And as you do that, you start to see the patterns develop, and you do a brain dump and get to look at, oh, okay, here's where my real work is around that issue. So you get to see the parts of your mind that normally you keep unconscious. You know, it's it's pretty well established in the um, in the world of psychology that, at least 95% of our mental dynamics are unconscious. This is a way Mm. to bring the unconscious conscious. 
And as you bring it forward for healing and exposure to love, then it starts to shift and change, and you get to play a different game. Right. Well, that's interesting how you say to pay attention to what's going on with my body as well as the mm-hmm. thoughts and the images that come well, up. Well, remember that the mind, the mind functions through every cell in the body. Uh-huh. And so wherever deleterious mental processes are stored, the cells containing that information are diseased. And, you know, the, the classic so-called health care, which is really a disease care system, will come along and say, well, we need to try to drug those cells back into health. We're going to put a poison in there that if those cells were healthy, we know it would make those cells sick. But we're going to put a poison in there to see if we can make those cells well, which, of course, is pretty bizarre when you think about it logically. Mm-hmm. And instead, mm-hmm. I start looking at what's the content of the cells that doesn't belong in my cells, and their thoughts. You know, the cell biologists are telling us that when you think a thought, you produce a molecule called a neuropeptide. The neuropeptide circulates around in your structure until it finds a cell, the receptor site that matches. So if it stores that uh, energy, that neuropeptide, if it lands on a cell in the big toe, and the neuropeptide is of a dis-ease quality of energy relative to the big toe cell, then the big toe cell is going to be diseased, and somebody's going to look at it and go, you've got the big toe disease. If you take exactly the same energy and you put it in the kneecap, some specialist is going to come along and look and go, and go oh, you've got the kneecap disease. If you put it in the lung, the liver, the heart, or the brain, somebody's going to look at you and go, oh, you have the lung, the liver, the heart, or the brain disease. It's all exactly the same disease. It's just a neuropeptide, which is turned into a chemical in the cell that doesn't belong in the cell and deforms the cell. When you develop the skill, and this is a skill we're inviting people to do in developing the ability to forgive, the skill of going inside of every nook and cranny of your mind, your emotions, your structure, and your genes, and scooping out the neuropeptide energy that doesn't belong, you literally pull that chemical, what shows up in the cell as a chemical, out of the cell. The cell instantly reorganizes itself and says, I'm healthy again. It's done. It's pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Not always mm-hmm. easy. Because these patterns of hiding have developed generation after generation after generation. I could just about guarantee if you sat down with your mom and had a conversation mm-hmm. and you, she got really honest and really into it, is that she really feels like her whole life she's never been seen. And she's probably terrified. Yeah, of being I, seen. I immediately saw that when I was doing the worksheet. And I just yeah. had an image of her. She was She was raised by Victorian grandparents who... Mm-hmm. They don't see children. They just don't see them. They don't talk. She said nobody would talk to her or acknowledge her or see her. And then I also remembered how she is around babies. She gets overwhelmed by them. And when I was pregnant with my first daughter, she she left in fear. She I, she came to support me, and she left. She just... It was too much for her. So I can see how um, Notice that the party fearful going on she is next around door was, young children. Huh? Yeah. And, and notice how the party going on next door was overwhelmed for you. Couldn't handle it. Wanted to do exactly what your power person did. Leave, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It all ties to there, there was a person next door who was behaving like my father, too. I'm like, how much, you know, See, the, the Course says I create all this. These are my perfect lessons that are created. But how how come I'm getting so many all at once? My gosh. It's called having the willingness to go there. And oh, a sensitive okay. period for healing. You know, if you uh-huh. look at Montessori education, in Montessori education, they don't say, well, this child is five, they should know their ABCs and force every kid to do ABCs because maybe somebody was ready for their ABCs at three and maybe somebody else is going to be ready for their ABCs until they're eight. Well, in Montessori education, mm. what happens is you observe the child and you let the child lead you. And when, when the child's ready for ABCs, you give them the environment to learn their ABCs. So the three-year-old may come out shining 
and the eight-year-old will finally get their ABCs. When the child is ready for math, then you put them in an environment where they can learn math, and zing, 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 they're in a, what in Montessori is called a sensitive period, and they'll learn math in no time, whether they're three or eight or ten or whatever age it is. And I think that in the same way or a similar way, we go through sensitive periods where, you know, this file in my mind that's got this painful information in it, and it sounds like as you work through this, you're going to open the energy window for both mom and dad to do some healing as well, and perhaps uh-huh. your own children as well. You'll open yeah. that energy window. And it sounds like you're in a sensitive period for it, so, you know, bless it and be with it and just let the energy move. That's awesome. It's like, what a gift. <laughs> There's a gratitude. There's a place for gratitude for this. There you go. Absolutely, and, uh, it is. It's uh, because... What we never see or look at, someone who lives in such a drug state, which is a whole lot of our culture because we are the most prolific culture in the world in terms of drug use. It is just insane how much drug use happens. I mean, you can hardly buy a so-called food that isn't totally laced with drugs. And so most people drug themselves and live in such denial that they never look at those dynamics. Mm And then they wonder why these cells are falling apart and they have this pain and this ache and this organ dying and that one dying and blah, 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 and always looking for some pill to fix them when the process is all self-created. Mm-hmm. So I congratulate uh, you for being in a sensitive period. And oh, for that's good. That's the reframing for me. You're reframing. Yeah, it's awesome. And and to, you know, push one on the phone and ask the questions and be willing to just be with the conversation. To me, that's awesome. And mm-hmm. it's also a powerful lesson to give everybody who's listening, you know, because you're not mm-hmm. probably not the only one in a sensitive period for some of that learning, and so it's pretty cool. Right on track. Uh-huh. Um, I've felt most of my life like um, I have a detach- an attachment disorder of some kind that it's really hard for me to be seen, as I said, and accept being received and uh, the need to have this distance. And uh, So I think you'll find that mind shifter will be helpful in covering that and cleaning that one up. Yeah. I, I can imagine that this is big for a lot of people, that sense of separation from... from other people, and, you know, I, I feel a lack of separation. I feel really connected to nature and animals, but when it comes to people, there's all these, all these, um, all these feelings come up. Well, that are just... and it's in our files on people that we store all the energetic dynamics that we've never been able to handle and all the energetic dynamics of our generations are stored, so yeah. You know, I, I, I love the, the, the thought from the person who says, well, I just absolutely love humanity. It's the people that bother me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, and yes, and the beautiful thing is, of course, that's denial to say that it's the people that bother me. It's the uh-huh. people that show me the bother that I've been hiding from myself, and uh-huh. that's the gift. And then when you think uh-huh. about that separation, you know, the ultimate reframing of the whole idea of separation, listen to Einstein. and I love what he says. He says, if you think that you are separate or separated from the rest of humanity, you're living in an optical delusion. Mm-hmm. The truth is, there's only one of us, energetically. But we create these walls of separation and hallucinate things where those things don't exist. And we always are hallucinating when we're in pain out of the content we haven't resolved. And so the beauty of the universe is it's always going to send another cell toward you to show you what you need to heal next. That's how the universe is set up. You know, it's like it's like the the creator abhors us being diseased. And so we're all the the, the way the structure's set up is through resonance we draw people who are going to show us our diseases. If we live in mm-hmm. denial and say, you made me mad, you made me sad, you made me afraid, 
then we go deeper into our disease process. If we wake up and go, oh, thanks for showing my mad, sad, or afraid, then because that neighbor came along and gave us the gift of showing us that part, we get to heal it. So it's pretty cool. Pretty sweet. Hmm. Yeah, it is a gift. It's it's painful to experience these feelings, though, because I I tend to think there's something wrong with me for having them. You know, there's a, a lot of shame that comes with, like, here I am again. I'm having all these feelings, and what's wrong with me? Other people don't seem to have these feelings when they're around people. Let me let me so. take this really, really outrageous, wild, way out in left field guess. Uh huh. Your power your power person was an expert at shaming you and telling you what was wrong with you. Just a wild. Yeah. Guess. Yeah. Yeah. So notice that your power person doesn't even have to be there anymore for you to tell yourself that. Mm-hmm. And that's just a variation on the theme of the power person dynamic. When you start to forgive as to that power person dynamic, then you start to remove the messages of shame and bad and wrong that you've accepted from your environment that were in your genes to start with. And as you remove those, then you send yourself and speak different messages to yourself. The game changes. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think of my father. When he was five years old, the Nazis came to stay at his house, and he became a prisoner of war. And he, his whole childhood was being, being with the Germans and being all over Europe, being starved. So I think he identified with the Germans, and he even went to a German school in Chile, in South America. And he has this. Um, well, he he told me that he wanted to make me strong, and so he would be really tough with me. So I think that's where the shaming comes from. You know, there's the strict definition of what what is strong and what's acceptable and what's weak and um well there many of the nazis would they they didn't tolerate people with handicaps for for instance things like that so yeah their own their own pain around those things was just too much for them to handle so you get rid of anything in the environment that shows you a part of your mind that you have difficulty handling. That's kind of just what what people who live in denial do. And as you start to work through those levels, those layers, and those messages, then you literally open the energy window for your father to heal those things and start to function in deeper and deeper ways as the active presence of love, as, as we as humans are designed to do. And that's just part of the healing process. And, of course, with the insanity, you know, we've we've killed in excess of 175 million people in the last 75 years on this planet. So it's uh, it's definitely time for wake-up and, uh, and a change. And so thanks for being part of that change. It's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. And I understand why, why there's such a shame, why it's so shameful for me to even go into these feelings. Yeah. Uh, is your dad still alive? Yeah, he was just here three weeks ago. Oh. And um, so maybe he, he says the reason why he loves me so much is because I have a high IQ. <laughs> and I was like, it was kind of funny, but um, that's that's what really impresses him. And you know that's how he measures. There's a mechanical way of seeing people for their accomplishments and if they're strong and if they're successful. Right. And um, I, I let I let him know that I've been wanting his approval all my life, and and I just let him know that. And he says, "Of course, he loves me. I'm I'm always going to be his little girl." Well, and I have a high IQ. <laughs> so, so it was well, healing. as you do your work, 
as you do your work and you clean out these parts of you that hold this trauma and pain that you're speaking about, you will open the energy window for that five-year-old boy to also let go of those things and open a new level of delight in his life, which is a sweet gift to give. Yeah. A principle in the Course of Miracles. When you are healed, you are never healed alone. Yeah. I I frequently see his little boy. And, you know, it's really hurting. So... Thank yeah, we you. probably can't even start to imagine what he's been through. Can't even start to imagine it. No, no, and you know, it's really hard to even get him to talk about it. I've done Reiki sessions with him, and I gave him the Reiki, and he, and he taught. He brought me into transcendental meditation in the seventies, and that. So we have this. A spiritual connection that is not father daughter. It's it's like we comfort each other that way. Yeah, there's probably a, another reason why you came together. Then that's awesome. Hmm. And we hold the space and would love to continue the conversation with you any place along the way that we can support you. As layers come up, if it's just oh, being here so to hold much. the space or or refinement on the understanding of the principles, it's a delight to. Uh, be here to support it and and appreciate the conversation because it gives a gift to everybody. Yeah, likewise. Thank you. Let's see how All did right, you? What area of the country are you in? I will. I'm in Atlanta. Oh, okay. All right, cool. Yeah, I've awesome. been meaning to call for for a while, and you know, I took it out or or I, I questioned my intentions for calling. And sometimes you remind me of my father too. So. Oh little... really? Oh. Yeah. So. <laughs> authority well, types. I... Authoritative people scare me a little bit. Well, no, I scare myself. So, this this stuff comes up for catch. me. Good catch. Mm-hmm. Awesome catch. Yeah. 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 So I have some fear in me to work through around people in authority. So so I'd suggest you go find some people who are really powerful authority figures and hang out with them and do worksheets and forgive your fear. And then stand in a space of confidence with authoritative people and become uh-huh. an authority. Yeah. Great space to go. That's fabulous. <laughs> well, life's a one big adventure. <laughs> it is. It is. Awesome. All right. Well, appreciate Thank you, you all. Any support we can be along the way, we'll appreciate hearing back from you again. Okay. Awesome. All right. Perfect. Have a blessing. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Fabulous. I love it. I love it. 646-200-4169 is our call-in number. If you're on one of those stations that we can't see in our control panel, if you call that number and then you push one, you'll be in queue to talk to us. And so, Jeannie, is there anything happening in the chat room to be aware of or anybody with a hand up in the phone queue? Um, No, we're just uh, chatting back and forth and nobody else has their hand up. Dr. Tim is with us now, though. Well, let's say hello, hello to Dr. Tim and see if he has anything to share with us. Well, I'm here, and I've been here since very near the beginning of the show. I was only a couple minutes late logging on, but so I've enjoyed the show, and um, certainly the review of the idea of being in denial, it's amazing how pervasive the language of denial is in our culture, in our conversations, and how triggered to upset people can become when I point it out to them, even when they've asked me to help them see it. I so hear it reminds, that one. reminds me of the John, John the Baptist syndrome trying to remember when to hold up the mirror and when to duck. Yes, and, and you know, a principle there that, you know, would probably be good to offer to our audience as you bring that up is that when we live in denial, then we live in blockage of truth. When we live in blockage of truth, 
and somebody shows up with truth in hand, that truth brings up the stress associated with the blockage. And for most people, their stress is attached to getting rid of the information. In fact, it's probably one of the biggest addictions on the planet is that of blocking truth in order not to feel stress. And so as one recognizes that principle, they can rewire their minds. And instead of using blockage of truth to manage stress, you can jump in and use the tools. And, of course, using blockage of truth would, to manage stress would look like, well, why are you making me feel that way? What's wrong with you? Attack is usually the way people respond. And instead it can be, wow, I didn't know I had that in my mind. Thanks for showing it to me and use it as an opportunity to heal. But but always when truth shows up in one's block of the truth, stress goes up. And blocking that truth is a big, big stress management device on the planet. And, of course, our language reinforces it. The whole cultural language is about how something outside of me made me the way I am. Huge. I mean, it governs the planet. Yeah, it occurs to me that you might want to say that differently than that the blockage of stress is a stress management tool. It's a pseudo-stress management tool. All it does is keep the stress in place and add to it. It actually stops me from reducing the stress. Yeah, it manages awareness of the stress, more accurately said. Good point. Because when I'm in blockage of truth, all I'm doing is repeating the cycle. I'm doing what Bohm would call engaging the replicate mind and maintaining sustained incoherence. Yes, absolutely. And just telling that mind of mine, okay, show me the evidence that I'm right and they're wrong and it's settled and there's no need to argue. Cool. Well, anything else exciting, anything happening in practice today that uh, you would share with us? Well, probably the biggest thing is the idea that so many people, when they have a bad relationship... And, of course, I know from your talk the relationships can't be bad, but when their experience of a relationship is such that they want to leave, they get out of that relationship, and then within a few heartbeats they're into another relationship. And because they haven't been able to see their role in the relationship to begin with, they're pretty much convinced that they already got rid of the problem in the relationship because they got rid of the other person. And... Of course, we all, anybody who's worked in the field a while knows that's just a recipe for disaster. And I ran into somebody this morning who was talking about how they had been to a divorce recovery group that was quite good, and they recommended that people wait three to five years before remarrying so that they would have time to work on their issues and sort out their role in the relationship. And of course, when I asked that person what was their experience of being in that group and how long people waited, well, they usually waited six months to eight months before getting remarried. And um, so it's it's one thing to have good tools or to have the wisdom of of an appropriate perspective, And yet we always have the ability to ignore, to deny and suppress or just avoid using the tools or the wisdom. And um, it it made me think about, because on, on last Thursday we decided to watch the first part of Healing Through Relationships, that lecture, based on what the needs of the group at the time and the relationships that people were going through. And so I'm I'm anxious to get back to that in two more evenings and dig into that a little bit more. 
but that that was brought up in a conversation this morning and so I thought maybe that'd be a good topic how long should I or how do I how do I own my part in a relationship that I find less than rewarding so that I can actually change my part in a relationship that's less than rewarding any ideas on that Dr. Rice I know, I know how to do that. I know, I know <laughs> all of the above. <laughs> Every tool, that's all we ever talk about. And I think that avoiding relationship till I work through my part in it is not necessarily the best advice. I think that within the context of relationship, I choose to develop new skills. You know, there's that great story that... Um, Oh, what's your buddy's name? Guy Finley. Guy tells. You want to share that story that Guy tells about uh, developing skills? I just love that story. I tell it all the time. Well, uh, a gentleman had a good friend, and and he'd been friends for years. And as he was leaving town one day, he saw his friend uh, putting up a new sign on his business. So he stopped and he said, "Hey, what was that?" He said, "Well, his friend said I'm, I'm getting into the." Uh, into the making wooden furniture business. And he said, well, that's good. I'm, I look forward to hearing how that goes. I'm going to be gone for about six months. But when I get back in town, I'll, uh, I'll look you up and we'll see how it's going. So six Was months he later, he came back. Chairs? And, well, six months later, he came back into town, and the uh, his friend was out there changing the sign. And he said, um, what happened? What, and he was busy putting up a, a sign that says he's going to make wooden chairs. And he says, well, what happened to your other business? And he said, well, uh, it didn't work out so well. And his friend said, why, you didn't have any business? He said, no, that really wasn't it. He said, I discovered I don't have any woodworking skills. And so the other friend said, well, wait a minute. You're putting up a sign that says you're going to make wooden chairs. Doesn't that take woodworking skills? And his friend said, yeah, I was just hoping this time it would be different. And, you know, Guy's basic story is that's what we all do. We do the same thing. This is David Bohm's sustained incoherence on the replicate mind. We do the same thing over and over. We go to the same toolbox, to the same worn-out patterns that we call solutions to fix a pattern that we're creating but we're blaming on somebody else. And we don't change anything about ourselves our basic skill set or our willingness to look at ourselves, we're constantly out trying to change the external stuff. And um, I want to change what I'm looking at rather than understanding that I need to change what is looking. For sure. And and rather than, well, I avoid relationship for three years so that I get to figure out what's going on in my life, it's like, go for a relationship, just be in the space of the willingness to develop new skills and partner with someone who's willing to develop those skills and move forward. It's, uh, and it is in the context of relationship that those skills are developed. I know I see people oftentimes who say, well, you know, I'm a codependent. I don't do relationships anymore. It's like, well, that's codependent. <laughs> I was pretending that the relationship's the problem instead of I am the problem. When I realize I am the problem, then I choose to develop a new skill set, then the game totally changes. And I do that in the context of relationship. So it's a, a whole different perspective than the than the avoided because, and, and of course there's a belief that, that that is the problem. And relationship is an awesome space for learning and, of course, the learning can become very intense from time to time. Well, and it's a space for learning when you know how to learn from it and you've got the tools. Well, the problem is most of us are raised in this culture that says everybody else is the problem and I don't need to change, they do. And from that perspective, my relationships are, um, they are the shadows on the cave wall from Plato's cave. It's, 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 it's what I use to convince myself that the world is dark and scary and out of my control. But if I learn the tools and if I learn that 
happiness is completely an inside job. That's somebody some somebody recently said this to me that they knew they weren't going to get anywhere in their relationship when their wife said to them, uh, "I'm absolutely miserable. You don't make me happy." And when they try to talk about happiness being an inside job and something we're all responsible to do for ourselves and tap into in our own true nature, their partner just got more and more enraged. And from that perspective, if a person isn't willing to, you know, engage responsibility, then it isn't going to go anywhere. As I mentioned earlier, we all have that liberty to postpone the lesson yet another day. We don't have to take advantage of the tools. We don't have to take ownership of our own unhappiness or how we're creating it. It sure does make a difference when we do, though, doesn't it? Oh, boy, it has in my life. Yeah, me too. Just amazing. And, of course, creating relationships with people around you who are about doing that same thing just enhances the whole process immeasurably. And so our call-in number is 646-200-4169. And if any of our conversation has stimulated anything for you, questions, thoughts, answers, we'd love to hear from you. If you're in the phone, this one. Oh, great. Let's say hello. And the conversation in the chat room was it's a very common um, issue with people to uh, buy into that their last stand. Uh, one person was saying that, you know, they went to school and did art, and because art was a girl thing and it had no value, and so she, got, you know, bought into that. And I used the example, too, of the lady that we had that came from Finland to Heartland uh, a couple of years back, and that she was not allowed to do better business-wise, like getting employment or whatever, than what her parents did. And so the work, you can't change the other person or their opinion of that, but but you can definitely go in and change what you've bought into and uh, change that idea within. So our next caller is area code 828. You're on the air. Who do we have? Hi, this is Magda. Calling from North Carolina. No, I'm kidding. I'm still in Missouri. Hello. Hello. We we can hear you, Magda. Oh, okay, good. Alrighty. Um I just want to take a moment to um to um agree with what Michael said about not needing to wait until we are completely fixed quote-unquote, before we get into another relationship. I had that mindset um, before I learned these tools, and I stayed out of relationship for three years. I just said, I'm, you know, it's not working. Uh, I've had many wonderful relationships, and they're all gone now. And um, so obviously I don't know how to do relationships. I need to fix myself before I get into another relationship. So that's the mindset I had when I came to Heartland the very first time for the first intensive. And I remember so well that midway through that nine-day intensive, I had a huge energy shift. And I could literally physically feel the difference as well as the mental awareness that because I now had tools, I could get into a relationship because I had the tools to process and deal with whatever would come up. And so that was just a a huge turning point for me. And as a matter of fact, I got into a relationship and we've been, oh gosh, what is it, seven years now? And we're still... We're still triggering each other on occasion, and so we still give each other the gift of um, bringing up that material that needs to be healed and using the tools to do that. So it's really quite wonderful. Our relationship just gets better and better and better. So anyway, I, I just wanted to chime in with that agreement and an example of how that worked for me. 
And it is perfect that uh, the relationship you did get in, that you're both willing to do your work, and that makes a big difference too. It makes a huge difference. It does. And I know people who aren't in that situation, and they simply do their work, um, and, you know, the other person isn't involved in it, and still things, beautiful things happen when we do our own work, when we, when we heal what we need to. We send out a different energy, and, um, and that really makes a difference for the relationship and the couple. So it's cool either way, and it is I think really better if you are partnered with someone who is willing to use the tools themselves. Yeah, I agree. Well, I think that uh, that people hide out by not going into a relationship uh, in order that they can keep those things hidden from themselves. And, you know, as uh, our conversation went with our first caller, it's a gift when we see those parts of ourselves, although sometimes if our denial is or has been deep, you can get up against the wall, against some pretty heavy-duty stuff. But as you keep yeah. breathing and you keep engaging in all of the tools, you know, those things just break down, break down, and relationships go to new levels, new heights, new amazing delights and joys. Yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, when one of those new delights and joys shows up, sometimes that's the next level of vitality, and following that's going to be the next layer of healing, which is just, you know, it's always fun. That's true. That's true. And sometimes it really doesn't feel like a gift when it's happening, uh, and and I certainly see the gift after I've processed. Um, and sometimes I see the gift right away, but um, it can feel pretty nasty uh, initially when those old, that old stuff comes up. So, yeah, well, that's all I wanted to interject here, and um, perhaps you have some other callers, so I'll let you go and wish you a beautiful and blessed day. You too. And I think one of the other things that uh, really helps in the process is that when we're in one of those places where there's something nasty happening, is just to be able to hold the awareness of that test for determining whether or not what I'm feeling is mine or not, and that is, am I feeling it? <laughs> just to go, here I am. <laughs> this is mine. I mean, my mind's got all this evidence and gives me the whole story about how it's about them, but I'm still the one feeling it. And, you know, sometimes sometimes I think we can get to levels of our minds that hold such deep, dark, and painful traumas that it's really, I mean, the, the, the skill building, building required to own that depth of pain is really huge and yeah. just part of the process. Yeah, it is. It is. And, uh, and, also, and I, have, I, I have over time come to really trust that these tools work. And so when I'm in one of those very uh, blind kind of situations where I'm sure it's his problem or it's her problem or whoever it was that triggered me, um, I, I just keep falling back on that. Okay, I know this works. I know this works. So I'm going to use this tool. And I get a worksheet and I'm going to do and for that, that is so rewarding. Yes. Mm-hmm. Also, I think that the the willingness to keep coming forward, especially when we're accusing someone else of not having goodwill, the willingness mm-hmm. to keep coming forward with goodwill, even when I'm in the depth of my pain. It's like the willingness to, okay, man, my mind is showing me your problems so deeply today that I'm in real trauma and to come forward with the goodwill, first of all, of course, the awareness, I'm feeling it, it's mine, and then to keep coming forward, even in the presence of what the mind wants to do, because, you know, what I've discovered for me is that in in my own work and in observing, you know, thousands of people over the years, is that the mind can so powerfully make it up about it being about somebody else, and to recognize that if there's a voice in me that wants to reach out in the kind of rage or vengeance or striking out that's really bizarre and insane, that's usually a voice from my own genetics. You know, who knows? Great, 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 great grandmother may have gone through the a situation where 
you know, whatever it is I'm facing today happened. And, you know, she lashed out and destroyed people or, you know, whatever. And so what what happens when the circumstances are right? You know, it's just like when everything adjusts and the tumblers and the lock fall into place in the external circumstance that locks into and resonates that genetic piece from great-great-great-great-grandmother and all of a sudden the rage, the vengeance, the desire to do damage comes forward with such intense emotion that people succumb to it and do that kind of damage instead of remembering to keep bringing forward goodwill and, and to rather than doing what I feel like doing, because when one of these voices in our genes calls from an insane past, mm-hmm. if I don't have a personal code that says, excuse me, I'm going to treat you lovingly, gently, and with respect in my thoughts, my words, and my actions, whether you're in my presence or not, if I don't have a personal code that goes with that, then I'm going to tend to do what I feel like doing, which is going to be listening to the insane rage of, you know, maybe great, 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 great grandmother or grandfather. Mm-hmm. And when that That's runs somebody's behavior, they, they just destroy. Mm-hmm. That's a very good point, Michael, to, to also an open mind to this, this can be genetic. It's not necessarily just with me, from me and um, develop this lifetime, but it could be genetic. Yeah, that's really, really um, important. Good. Huh. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, one yeah. of the principles we talked about in Laws of Living this summer that, you know, of course we always reinforce in Laws of Living is that when a mind is in either hostility or fear, it cannot show us a behavior with which to reduce our stress. It will always guide us into a behavior that will increase stress and make things crazier. I remember one person who, you know, had been studying this work for some years was was in a situation where they had blasted somebody. And then I was in a conversation processing with both of them and having blasted this other person. Uh, I, I stopped and I said, well, now, wait a minute now. It sounds like you actually believe with the kind of rage you've got going on right now that your mind is giving you good advice to blast this person. Do you realize how insane that is <laughs> to take the advice of an insane mind? Do you, notice, do you realize how bizarre it is to do that? And they had done enough of this work to then just be able to laugh at themselves. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah, I was, I was actually believing my mind. And mm-hmm. it, can, it can create some, <laughs> some pretty powerful stories that are very convincing, but just... Oh, Again, yeah, having the our minds are out. so conveniently tricky. So oh, yeah, <laughs> it really is. But just the awareness that yeah, in hostility or fear, I never get good advice. So I'm going to stop and wait until I restore myself to love before I believe any advice my mind gives me. Is another yeah. powerful principle to integrate into relationship. It absolutely so. is. Yeah. Very cool. We and appreciate then, having you guys as our neighbors. We should talk about the Pagra tomorrow because this leads right up to the Pagra. The, that would uh, be perfect. Personal code, yeah, personal code of the relationship itself. Yeah. Okay, because I see it's almost time to, to um, end. It is. We're just down to a few mm-hmm. seconds. I do have a thought. I know that you and Chuck created a, uh, a Pagra, a, a personal code for your Pagra. Maybe you'd have that handy and call in tomorrow and open that conversation. That would be cool. Huh. If that okay. works. Okay. Um, cool. I'll think about doing that. We are going to be preparing to uh, take a trip, so we'll see how it works out time-wise and all of that. Okay. Thanks all for right. that invitation. Okay. Okay. Blessings. All right. Blessings. Mm-hmm. Bye. And thank you, everyone, who chooses to join us. We are honored by your presence here. Share the show with somebody. Send a link to somebody. If you think it's particularly meaningful, that might touch someone in your life, bring them to the show tomorrow. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and his wife, Jeannie, who present the internal Aramaic process of forgiveness. Michael and Jeannie are here every Monday through Friday on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www. 
www.whyagain.com. That's www.whyagain.com. Evolving continuously.